following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We're in this series at the moment called That Thing We Do. And uh, we're looking at these things we do on Sunday mornings, these things we do as part of our Sunday services. And so this morning, we are talking about preaching. So this is strange. Uh, This is new for me. Uh, I've done a fair amount of preaching, but I've never preached on preaching. But that's what I'm going to try and do. So this is going to be interesting. So I think it's helpful just for one Sunday, only for one Sunday, to uh, step back from this whole thing called preaching and just ask the question, why do we do this? Why do you show up and listen to a 30-minute sermon, 30 minutes if you're lucky, uh, every Sunday, whether it's me or whether it's someone else, why do you do this? You give up your time, you come here, you sit, you listen. What is the point? We've been doing this now for a long time. Churches do it all around the world. But what's the point of preaching? Why do we bother? Why do you give time to this? What's it supposed to achieve? And how can we engage with this? How can we truly be transformed by the ministry of preaching and proclamation rather than having it just be a 30-minute message that you listen to and then go away unchanged? How can we be transformed through the ministry of God's Word and preaching? This is what I want to explore with you. Uh, So what I want to do here is, uh, if you remember last week in talking about singing, we just focused on one verse, just one verse in Colossians, and we zeroed right in on that. What I want to do this morning is the opposite. Uh, I want to look at a lot of scriptures. I want to walk through the whole biblical story and look at the story of preaching and try and just give you a little bit of a biblical foundation for the ministry of preaching, and then come back and have some reflections on how we can engage more fully with preaching as we receive it and hear it here at Shaw. Okay, sound good? So if you've got a Bible, you're going to be thumbing through a few different scriptures this morning. So maybe a few finger exercises first if you need to, but we're going to move fairly quickly. And I want to start with the first sermon in the Bible. Where is the first sermon in the Bible? It's not Moses. It's not even Noah. Genesis 1. Genesis 1 verse 1 first few verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, here's the first sermon, let there be light. And there was light. Just two words in Hebrew, four words in English. That's the first sermon in the Bible. That's the first example of preaching in the Bible. It's not what we think of as preaching, is it? And I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek by calling it preaching. It's not a minister standing behind a pulpit preaching to a church of people, is it? But it is a proclamation, and it is very good news, and it is certainly from the mouth of God, directly. So this is preaching. This is proclamation. In a sense, God speaks a word of light into the darkness. He speaks a word of life into lifelessness. He speaks a word of order into chaos, and He brings about creation. And what we, what we see in this passage, what this tells us about God is something so significant, but so obvious we can miss it. And that is that God is a God who speaks. I mean, we know this, but God is a God who speaks. God is a God who uses words. He reveals himself. The first time God is revealed in Scripture, he is revealed as a preacher. 
He's revealed as one who speaks and one who proclaims. God gets stuff done with words. And this sets a tone for the entire rest of the biblical story. You can see this when you compare the Genesis account of creation with other creation stories. Other cultures had their creation stories too, their creation myths about how their gods created the world. And most of the time, what you find is that the gods, the so-called gods, the pagan gods, they create the world either through warfare or through sex. That's how stuff gets made. But in the Bible, the God of the Bible uniquely creates through speech, creates through words. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And the very word that God speaks brings about the reality that he proclaims. God didn't just make light. He could have done that. The Bible could have said, and God made light. But God didn't do that. God said, let there be light. And his word brought forth the very reality that he proclaimed. And this keeps on happening. God keeps on speaking creation into existence. He keeps speaking stuff into existence. And then he creates humanity. And he begins to speak directly to human beings. He begins to address them with the dignity of creatures made in the image of God. And then even after human beings fall away, after they sin and they eat the forbidden fruit and they're alienated from God and there's this silence there and we wonder, is God going to speak again? Is God going to hang in there? Or is the story finishing after it's just begun? And God breaks the silence with a word, with a question. Where are you? Is what he asks. Where are you? Question that still haunts every human heart. Where are you? Because they were alienated. They were separated from God. Their relationship with God was ruptured. And yet God still spoke. He still spoke. And he hung in there with human beings. And then in Genesis 12, God appears to this wandering Aramean named Abraham under a clear sky one night. And he starts speaking to him. Words of incredible promise. Words of incredible power. He says, Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. Through you, all nations, all peoples of the earth will be blessed. These extraordinary promises, these promises that would have seemed ludicrous to Abraham, an elderly, ordinary guy. But they all rest on the power of God's word. All on the basis of what God has spoken. And sure enough, those promises come true. God continues to speak. Abraham becomes the father of the Jewish nation, the people of Israel. And after Israel has been in slavery for 400 years, God speaks again, this time from a burning bush. He speaks to Moses. And he calls Moses to go and stand before Pharaoh to confront Pharaoh and demand the release of the Hebrew slaves. And Moses objects and protests. And do you remember one of the things he says? He says, I'm not much of a preacher. I'm paraphrasing. But he says, you know, I'm, I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of speech and tongue, is what Moses says. And God replies to him and says, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. And so God commissions Moses as a preacher. And through Moses and through Aaron, God speaks. So now God's not just speaking directly. God's using people to speak. 
God's using people as his, vo- as his mouthpiece, as a conduit of his word to Pharaoh. And through Moses and Aaron, God speaks to Pharaoh. He confronts Pharaoh and he does exactly what he promised he would do. And he liberates the slaves. He liberates the Hebrews. And God continues speaking. He keeps on speaking through the biblical story. He speaks to his people. He speaks through kings. He speaks through their priests. He speaks through their prophets. He raises up these particular people as his spokespeople through whom he speaks to the nations, through whom he speaks to Israel, through whom he keeps on telling the story and keeping the story alive of his promises of what he has done and what he's yet to do. And here's one thing he says through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 55 verse 10, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. So God is saying, whenever I speak, Whenever the word of God goes forth, it will never fall to the ground. It will never uh, fail to accomplish the purpose for which God sends it. Whenever God speaks directly or indirectly through another person, God is always going to accomplish something. And you might not feel it and you might not see it and you might not sense it, but God is always going to accomplish something when his word goes forth. He, He promises. He says it will never fail to accomplish what I purpose my word to achieve. And so he keeps on speaking through the prophets to Israel and to the nations. God keeps on using words right through to the end of the Old Testament story. And the book of Malachi closes and God is silent for 400 years. Not a word from God, not a prophet in Israel. And a question mark hangs over the biblical story. Will God speak again? Will we hear from him again? And we know the answer because we open the New Testament and God breaks the silence with his ultimate word. We read it in John 1.14, and the word became flesh. It's incredibly significant that Jesus is called the word, the logos. And the best way to understand that is simply to think about all the things that God's word did in the Old Testament. All the things that God's word has accomplished up to this point are supremely accomplished in Jesus. God's word creates. God's word brings life. Genesis 1, let there be light. Jesus creates. He brings about new creation. He brings about the kingdom of heaven, this entirely new reality. He's come as the bearer of good news, the bearer of this entirely new world taking shape within the old world. Jesus is the living word of God who brings life. God's word reveals in the Old Testament. It reveals who he is. It reveals his character, his purposes. Jesus is the ultimate self-revelation of God. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the living embodiment of who God is. He reveals God ultimately, supremely. God's word in the Old Testament saves and judges. It builds up and it destroys. Jesus is the same. He's the living word who brings salvation. He is the word of salvation spoken to a dying and a desperate humanity. A word that heals and gives life. And a word that carries the judgment of God too. Because Jesus faced that and bore it on our behalf. Everything that God's proclaimed word did in the Old Testament, Jesus does in the New Testament. He is the word of God in a human body. He's the word of God living and speaking and walking around and teaching and healing and doing miracles and rebuking. He's the living, enfleshed word of God. 
That's why we call Jesus the living word. And Jesus himself was a preacher, right? He stood up in Nazareth, Luke chapter 4. He stands one Saturday in the synagogue. Jesus stands up in the synagogue. Someone passes him the Isaiah scroll. It was the reading for that morning. So Jesus says, all right, I'll read that one. He, he reads it in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Three times in the, in the mission statement of Jesus, you have the word proclaim. Central to the ministry of Jesus is the ministry of proclamation. He did many other things. He did miracles. He calmed the storm. He fed the 5,000. But he proclaimed. He taught. He preached in the synagogues. He preached in the villages. He went up on the hillside of Galilee. Thousands of people came to him. And he stood on the hills there and he proclaimed. He taught. He preached. He preached the Sermon on the Mount and many other sermons besides. And he painted this beautiful vision as people listened of the reality of this thing that he called the kingdom of heaven. And he described it. He described it with stories. He described it because it's such a difficult reality to get your head and your heart around. But he described it with stories that drew from the ordinary life of ordinary Palestinians in the first century. So he told stories about a farmer who planted crops. He told stories about a shepherd who lost a sheep, about a woman who lost a coin, about a father who lost a son. He told stories. And with every story, he was adding insight and depth to this picture of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was a preacher. And some people were mildly amused at his preaching. Some people were just part of the crowd, and they listened, and they were entertained, and they went home. Other people were indifferent. They didn't care. Other people received what he was saying with eagerness. They embraced it. They became followers. They became disciples of his. Other people were offended. Other people were utterly disturbed by his teaching, including many in the religious establishment. They couldn't stand what he was saying. And ultimately, the words that Jesus proclaimed in his preaching led him to the cross. It was preaching that he was the only way and the truth and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through me. That was what the authorities could not stand, could not tolerate, and led to his execution. It was Jesus' preaching ministry that eventually got him killed. And so again, as Jesus breathes his final breath and surrenders up his life to the Father, there's a silence in the biblical story. And another question mark that hangs over the story, is God ever going to speak again? For three days, silence. And then Easter Sunday morning, the women go to the tomb. And the angel says to them, he is not here. He is risen. Go and tell. Go and proclaim it. Go and tell his disciples. And so those women become the first preachers of the gospel and the New Testament. Those women become the first ones commissioned to proclaim the good news that Jesus is risen from the dead and to tell others about it, and that's what they do. And then Jesus himself appears to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and he commissions them before he leaves earth, and he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem here and in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That word witnesses... It's the Greek word maturia, and it just simply means to testify to what we have seen and what we have heard. That's really what preaching is, is to testify to Jesus, 
to testify to what we know to be true about Jesus. That's what Jesus commissioned his disciples who became the apostles to do, to testify to what they had seen and what they had heard of his life, his death, and especially his resurrection. And so they did. They proclaimed, they preached. That's why in the very next chapter of Acts, Peter stands up and he starts preaching. Jesus told his disciples to preach. Peter starts preaching. He gets up, he preaches a ripper sermon. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 really is the first Christian sermon in the Bible. Lots of sermons, lots of messages, but Acts chapter 2, it's the first sermon because it's the first message post the death and resurrection of Jesus that then reflects on the meaning of those events for people's lives. So Peter preaches on the dying and the rising of Christ and how all this is the fulfillment of Israel's great story, how it's all come to culmination in Jesus. And people turn to him at the end of it and say, what must we do to be saved then? And Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people get baptized, accept Christ and form a community called the church. The church was birthed by a sermon. How about that? Now, we know the church is the creation of God, it's the creation of His Spirit, but it came out of a sermon. It came out of a sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He preached a sermon, next thing there's an instant church, just like that. And then from its very inception, God has made sure that the ministry of preaching and the ministry of proclamation is utterly vital to the life and the health and the ministry and the mission of His church. It continued through the first century, and that's why God gifted the church with particular gifts, gifts of teaching, gifts of proclamation, gifts of being a herald or an, an apostle, a proclaimer of the good news, so that the church could continue to be nourished by the story of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and all of its implications for the ongoing life of Christians in the world. So that God continued to raise up preachers in the first century church. People like Paul, people like the Apostle Paul, who we've been looking at so much this year, working through 2 Corinthians. Paul was a preacher. Paul was one of those called to proclaim the good news. He wasn't particularly gifted as an orator. And I tried to make that distinction as we went along. We immediately think preaching, we think public speaking, and that's part of it. But Paul, by all accounts in 2 Corinthians, wasn't an amazing public speaker. By the standards of his day, by the standards of Greek oratory and rhetoric, he didn't pass the test. And yet he was commissioned as a preacher. He was to proclaim the message of Christ crucified. And that's why he says in the book of 1 Corinthians, he says, When I came to you, brothers... I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. That's a great description of preaching, isn't it? That, that should be the mantra of every preacher. That's what I desire to be more like, that my, my preaching, my teaching wouldn't rest on wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of God's power so that your faith doesn't rest on human wisdom coming from the front here, but rests on the power of God. That power of God may not always be overtly and dramatically seen, but it's at work when God's word is preached. So why do I tell you all this? Partly for my own job security. 
because I'd like to still preach next week. Uh, But partly because I want us to see and get a sense of how preaching is one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways in which God speaks to us. God still speaks today. And he speaks in a range of ways. He, he, he speaks directly to you through his word. You don't need me for that. He speaks to you through his word. He speaks to you through the quiet promptings of his spirit in your heart and your life. He speaks to you through creation. He speaks to you through the encouragement of other people. But one of the ways in which God speaks to us is through the ministry of preaching, is through the proclamation of the gospel and the word of God. That when someone stands up here, whether it's me or someone else, and faithfully proclaims the word of God in the power of the spirit of God, God is at work. This is what I want us to understand and appreciate. God is at work when the scripture is proclaimed in ways that we won't often see because I can't connect all the dots in your lives. I can't always make all the applications every Sunday, but I've got to trust. I'm so aware of my utter dependence on the spirit of God. And I trust that as God's word is proclaimed Sunday by Sunday, that as that happens, God is moving among this room. He's moving among the congregation. He's moving along the rows and he's just touching people's lives. And he's bringing a word of comfort to those that need to hear a word of comfort. He's bringing a word of encouragement to those that need to hear that. He's bringing a word of rebuke or a word of confrontation or a word of conviction to those that need to hear that. He's bringing a spiritual breakthrough to those that need. He's bringing a freedom. He's bringing a new perspective. He's bringing a new paradigm of truth. He's bringing a spiritual awakening. He's doing all these things that I can never do. If it's just me, it's noise, it's words, it falls to the ground. But if it's the Spirit of God, then God's Word is living and active, is what the Bible says. Sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's what's happening when God's Word is preached. The Spirit of God is judging the thoughts and attitudes of our heart, and He's working. And so we should come to the moment of preaching with an air of expectation, with an air of anticipation, with a hunger and a thirst to hear a fresh word from God. Not that I want to be novel or gimmicky with you at all. I want to just try and be as clear and faithful as I can. But we should arrive at this moment with that sense of hunger for God to speak his word afresh into our lives. It's going to look different for every person. It's going to look different week in, week out. But God's at work through preaching. And so we should have a posture of openness to that as we receive God's word. So I want to just briefly touch on three ways in which we can engage with preaching. I know that not many of you are going to be preachers, but if you hang around the church long enough, you're going to hear a fair few sermons. And so I want to just talk about how we can receive preaching well how we can allow it to have maximum impact and how we can actually engage more fully with the ministry of preaching in our church. I want to give you three things. And because this is a message, it's a a sermon on preaching, I'm going to give you three points. They're all going to start with the same letter. It's going to be nicely alliterated because apparently that's what good preaching is. I'm not really so much into that, but here we go. This morning, three Ps, all right? This is textbook stuff. Three Ps. The first one is prepare, right? Easy enough, prepare for preaching. Before you come on Sundays, prepare. And the, and the best way to prepare is by, is by being in the Word of God yourself. It's by having a regular habit of feeding on the Scriptures. My heart as a preacher, above all else, is that you would become self-feeders on the Word of God, not spoon-feeders from me. I like it that you show up. I like it that you listen. 
But more than that, I want, I want this sermon and every sermon to drive you back to the Word of God so that you are nourished by it yourself. And sadly, I think too many Christians come to church and when you open your Bible during the sermon, it's the only time in the week that you open your Bible. And even then, the words are on the screen, so the Bible just sits on your lap. And then you go home and the Bible sits on your shelf until next Sunday. If that's your only intake of Scripture, the preaching is not going to be powerful in your life because you're going to have this anemic Christian walk because you are not being nourished by the Word of God. The best thing you can do to allow the ministry of preaching to come alive for you is to be in the Word before and after the sermon. Have a habit of reading Scripture for yourself, studying Scripture for yourself, meditating on Scripture for yourself, applying Scripture in your own life. If you don't have that habit set up, I just encourage you to start that today. Find the time, make a plan, be intentional, be in the Word. Be, become a self-feeder on Scripture. Second way in which we can engage with preaching is by participating in preaching. That might sound a bit strange. But during the message itself, you are participants. Did you know that? You come to church and you sit there and you think that you are completely passive in what's going on here. But you're not. You are never completely passive. Preaching is always a dialogue. It's never a monologue. Even if I'm the only one speaking, it's never a monologue. I'm always getting something back from you. Right now, I'm getting something back from you. I'm trying to read the room is what I'm doing. I'm trying to read what God is doing. I'm trying to read body language. All of this is a factor in preaching. That's why I could preach one message one Sunday in one church and exactly the same message another Sunday in another church and have two completely different experiences because the congregation is a part of the sermon. Here's the way one writer puts it. The hearer is not at all passive in the listening process. The space between pulpit and pew bristles with energy and activity. As the preacher speaks, the hearer races ahead in anticipation of what might be said next, ranges back over what has already been said, debates with the preacher, rearranges the material, adds to the message, wanders away and returns sometimes. In short, the hearer is a co-creator of the sermon. How this sermon goes is partly your responsibility. <laughs> it's not all on me. We've got to, we're in this thing together, right? We are co-creating something here. It's like I'm at one end of the saw and you're at the other, like lumberjacks pulling back and forth. That's what's happening. So what can you do? You can have that openness of heart. You can be engaged and attentive and be fully present when preaching is happening and be tuned in and try to minimize distractions. You can have your Bible open, whether it's a physical Bible or whether it's an app on your phone or your device. You can be following along. You can also take notes. It's a great idea because you sit here and you think you're going to remember it all, don't you? You think, oh, look, I'll remember all of this tomorrow. By lunchtime tomorrow, you can't remember a single thing. Retention rates generally hover around about 10%, unless I do something bizarre, which you'll remember forever. But generally around 10%. That means by tomorrow, you'll remember maybe one or two tiny little things that I've said. But how can you help yourself in this process? You can take some notes. Get a journal. Bring along a sermon notes journal or whatever. You, you figure out a system, but maybe jot down the main points, jot down some scripture references. And as I'll talk about in a second, this can then feed into your own time with God as well. But be active, be attentive. You might even want to vocalize something. I mean, we've got Gary Marshall down the back. Occasionally we get a glory out of him. 
You know, if, if your heart's burning with something, you can say it. That's all right, as long as it's positive, right? I mean, you, if you want to vocalize something, that's okay. That spurs preachers on, that stuff. If it's done appropriately, you know. You know, the African-American churches, they're all standing and clapping and hallelujah. And that's probably not going to be us. But, uh, <laughs> but we could take a step, right? Just loosen up a bit, yeah. Okay, so engage in preaching. You know, during the sermon, uh, you're an active participant in this thing, is what I'm trying to say. And then, after the sermon, after it's all finished, what can you do? Uh, process and practice. There's a bonus P in there. Process and practice what you have heard. Let me just read the example to you of the Bereans in the book of Acts. This group of people who heard from Paul, and here's what it says in Acts 17, 11. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. That's a great model of how to be a hearer and a recipient and a processor of preaching. Notice what they did. They received the message with great eagerness. They weren't suspicious of Paul. They weren't trying to be critical. They weren't trying to be judgmental. They received it with eagerness. But then Paul's preaching drove the Bereans back to Scripture. That's the point. And they tested it and they examined the Scriptures, not because they just didn't believe what he said, but because they knew Paul wasn't God. They knew Paul wasn't infallible and Paul's words were not infallible. And so they went back to the Scriptures. This is what Francis Chan was talking about. And they weighed it up. And can I see what Paul was really saying in the Scriptures? Does this resonate? Can I see? Can I follow along? This is what we need to be doing. It's a great idea tomorrow morning or whenever your next quiet time is to get God's Word in front of you, to get your notes from the sermon in front of you, and then go back over this. And Reuben talked about this yesterday. Can I actually see this in the text? Does this, does this resonate? Maybe check the cross-references. Go back, study it for yourself because I'm not infallible. I'm not perfect. I, I sometimes get things wrong. You need to be in the Scriptures for yourself. Testing, weighing, examining these things. That's good for you in terms of processing preaching so that you're not just passively and naively absorbing everything and it feeds into a healthy habit of regularly being in God's Word. So examine and process what you're hearing. And then, of course, practice. We need to be doers of God's Word. James 1, that wonderful passage, says, Do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If anyone, looks, if anyone listens to the Word but does not do what it says, they're like a man who looks at his face in the mirror, and then he goes away and he forgets what he's looked like. But anyone who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. He will be blessed in what he does. James is calling us to apply what we hear. You can sit here on Sundays and you may be challenged, you may be inspired, you may be convicted. But if we just walk out of here and allow God's word and allow the proclamation of God's word to have no effect in our lives, we are hearers of God's word only. And we're deceiving ourselves. We need to be committed to practicing and applying what we hear. And that means as you take that time with God in the next day or two, sitting with Him, sitting with His Word and saying, God, from what I heard yesterday, from, from Your Word, from that message, from this Scripture, what is it that You're putting Your finger on in my life? Take some time. Just sit with God. And let, let Him keep working on your life. 
What, what God, is there a way of thinking that you are wanting me to adopt here? Is there a deeper experience of your grace that you want me to have? See, it's not always behavior. It's not always that you have to do three things differently this week. It may be a new perspective that God's wanting to bring. Just a shift in your understanding, one notch maybe. An awakening of a deeper reality of just how much God loves you. That could be it. And it may be that there's a habit to break, something to shift, plans to make, a step to take, whatever it is. But spend the time with God and ask Him to help you apply this message meaningfully into your own life. We need to be processing what we hear and we need to be practicing what we hear. So let's prepare well for preaching. Let's participate fully in preaching. Let's process and let's practice what we hear. And let me just finish with this. I love being in a church where my sense is that the ministry of preaching really is valued. That's my sense. I think we are a church where we've got a high authority of God's word. We've got a high view of the authority of God's word. We believe in the authority of the Bible. I think we've got a high view of the importance of the ministry of preaching for the life and the health and the ministry and the mission of the church. And I love ministering in a congregation, in an environment where that's the case. I love that. We're in a church where the elders free me up significant time to be able to devote to study. I feel like my role is that every week, you guys send me away with a spade in my hand, so to speak, and I go away and dig into the text as much as I can, and I come back and bring whatever treasure I've found and say, look at this, guys. Look at this. And we enjoy it together and we bask in the story of grace together. That's my role, and I love it, and I love being in a community that values this ministry. So let's keep engaging in the ministry of preaching. It's an important part of the work of God's church on earth. Let's prepare our hearts and our lives well. Let's be full participants in the moment and the event of preaching, and let's process what we hear, and let's seek to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you that you are the living word, the word made flesh. We thank you, God, for the value that you place on speech and words. We thank you, God, that right at the end of the story, on that day that we're still looking forward to, you are going to utter those incredible words, Behold, I make all things new. And again, with the power of your words, God, you're going to bring renewal. And you're going to bring healing for humanity and for creation. And we look forward to that. And Father, I pray that in the meantime, whenever we hear your word proclaimed, that we would not let that word fall to the ground in our lives. Lord, we know your word is always powerful. But we pray, Father, that we would come with open hearts every Sunday. That we would come with open minds. God, even when we hear a hard word, even when we hear a word of, that really disturbs us and makes us uncomfortable. God, we want to be broken before you. We want to have open hearts before you. We want to allow your word to really get into the bones, Father, the inner workings of our lives and stir our hearts and change us. So help us in that, Lord, we pray. And we thank you for the ministry of preaching. In Christ's name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. 
Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.